Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, media strategist, and health coach helping you live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield. I use she, her pronouns, and I currently reside on land stolen from the peoples of the Wabanaki Confederacy in what is now called Maine. I wanted to share a bit of my story with you in this episode and talk a little bit about the purpose behind this podcast. I grew up in Oklahoma, and my family goes back at least four generations on both sides. All of my grandparents grew up on farms, but decided to leave the farm for a different life. Like many in Oklahoma, I have Native American blood, and I am a member of Cherokee Nation via my mother's mother, my grandmother. She died when I was seven, and I didn't grow up connected to that heritage, though I was taught to be proud of it. I remember talk of my great-great-grandfather, who was the editor of the Cherokee newspaper, and I remember going to an event one time when I was small, where we did see natives dressed in regalia and we could buy jewelry and other things from artisans. But I grew up white passing and not on a reservation, so I had a lot of privilege. I still don't know how to talk about this part of myself, and I'm learning and growing around it every day. As a child, I was very much in my own world. I was an only child living with my mother after my parents divorced, though I do have two sisters on my dad's side with whom I'm close. I remember being outside a lot as a kid, laying on my back, staring at the sky, catching lightning bugs in a jar, making forts in the woods. I was an observer, finding people fascinating to watch. As I grew up, I always felt like an outsider, pushing away from authority, looking for ways to rebel. In my 20s, I became an activist focused on changing the food system. I started a journalism website called Civil Eats and a nonprofit called the Food and Environment Reporting Network which produces long-form journalism on food, agriculture, and environmental health. I thought if we brought the stories to the public and people read them, it would change their minds and their actions and help the world. I was so focused on others changing, working long hours for little pay, that I pushed myself to burn out. I was living in New York City, also working at NPR as an assistant producer, helping prepare interviews for the show's host, which was, by the way, super helpful prep for this gig. And I also dreamed of growing my own food, so it was around this time that I planted a garden and grew herbs, lettuce, and tomatoes on my rooftop in the Lower East Side. Around when I turned 30, I hit a major crossroads in my life. I found out that my husband was having an affair, which totally changed everything. I was lost, completely distraught, and went into a spiral of shame and anxiety. What had I done wrong? A wave of grief and pain took me under, and I was clinging to therapy for dear life. I moved out to the Bay Area in California where I had support and moved in with a dear friend who was also going through a breakup. We called her place the Heartbreak Hotel. And we would go for walks and eat good food together, which literally saved my life and helped me to stabilize. There was a lot of fear and also euphoria in walking forward in this new direction that I'd never expected. It was in this moment of transition that I had my first Jyotisha or Vedic Astrology reading. The reader told me things that most people didn't know about me, including timing for events that had happened in my life. It was uncanny, and I was spellbound. In fact, I remember my mouth hanging open in stupefaction. I had to learn more about this, learn how to do this. 
I've been practicing yoga since college, but I should point out that I was highly skeptical of astrology until this point. I did yoga because it made me feel good, but I had thought astrology a bridge too far and a little weird. But I was desperate for understanding and it had cracked me open. Not long after that, I took my first trip to India over the holidays in an attempt to avoid them completely post-divorce. I'd asked several friends where I should go and what I should do, and randomly two people suggested that I go to a small family-run Ayurvedic retreat center in Karnataka. So I said yes, as I valued coincidence as a sign of what to do. After seeing a few sites, I'd gotten to the clinic and met a couple who practiced a kind of yoga called shadow yoga, which a friend in the Bay Area had been encouraging me to try. I noted the interesting coincidence. They loaned me two books, one on shadow yoga by Shandor Ramente, who's the founder, and one called Prakriti by Dr. Robert Svoboda. I read both cover to cover in a day. If you've ever gotten Ayurvedic treatment, you know it involves a lot of downtime. That night at dinner, there was a new person sitting next to me, and I was engaging in a conversation about shadow yoga with a couple when he chimed in and said that he also did shadow yoga. And in fact, his friend, who was a shadow yoga teacher in the Bay Area, would be arriving here with his family tomorrow. Of course, it was the teacher with whom my friend was insisting I take a beginner's shadow yoga course in a month, Scott Blossom. Another coincidence, noted. This man next to me, of course, was Dr. Robert Svoboda, whose book I had just read. Okay, universe, I'm listening. I remember thinking how crazy this all was. But this few days radically changed my life. I'd ordered all of Dr. Robert Svoboda's books while still in India, and so when I got home, I cracked open Agora 1 and went on a deep journey that would rock my world even further. What I read shook me to my core and helped me to better understand the nature of reality and reoriented my priorities. I took the shadow yoga course with Scott and started practicing daily. Shadow yoga involves a lot of squatting, and something about it is so confrontational, I feel like it just brings your stuff to the surface. What followed that few months was one of the roughest periods of my life, which I now would refer to as a dark night of the soul. I was suddenly aware of all of these terrible patterns I had. My anxiety, which I'd struggled with throughout my life, was unbearable. I felt like I was being burned to ash, like I couldn't even be around other people because I was so sensitive to their energy. Worst of all, my body was doing some kind of physical detoxing that resulted in me having really bad acne in my 30s. I felt blessed, though, because having read the Agora books, I knew this was a karmic burning off period. I trusted that it was going to get better, and I knew enough about Ayurveda to create and stick to routines that would help me stabilize in this unstable time. I was eating kitchari for months, sleeping and waking early, reciting mantras, meditation, yoga, oiling my skin, you name it, I was on it. It became so routine with everything, and it saved me from losing it completely. After about six months, I started to see some relief and felt stronger and more resilient. I'd been saving and preparing and decided to quit my job and leave for six months in India, which led to me traveling for four years all over the world. Some of my favorite places were Costa Rica, Myanmar, Brazil, Denmark, and Estonia. During this time, I was learning a lot, often traveling with Dr. Sabota as we started working together on a lot of projects pretty much the moment I quit my job. 
I'd started studying Jyotisha with my main teacher, Stephen Heiberger, intensively before leaving the Bay Area and was now regularly reading charts with Dr. Sabota. I also got to deepen my studies of Ayurveda through going for month-long panchakarma treatments every year and getting to be present at so many of Dr. Sabota's talks, editing his writing, and just through talking to him. At that time, I was spending half the year in India and would go up into the Himalayas in February and March to stay in a cottage on the Ganges in a small village and doing personal silent retreats. In my fourth year on retreat, on like the ninth day of silence, I got this strong message, go back. I'd been feeling the need to stop moving around, to stop living out of a bag, and I was longing for more routine and a teapot and a bathtub, but I didn't have plans to stop until then. The message was so clear, it was time to find a place to land for a while. Did you know that this podcast has been made possible by listener support? If you like what you're hearing and want to support us, go to patreon.com slash weave your bliss. There are lots of great gifts, including a weekly astrology update from me and a monthly live new moon circle. Thanks for your support. When I had first began traveling, I genuinely thought I'd get to India, meet my guru, and move into an ashram, and maybe that would be my life from then on. I felt detached from the world, but it felt sincere, not like I was running away from my problems, but like I honestly felt called to live a spiritual life. I remembered seeing a film in New York City like a decade before called Into Great Silence. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's about a monastery in France and longing for that life even back then. But then so many of the texts I was reading by different saints would talk about being in the world and bringing your practice there, living the life of a householder as the way of this time. I'd been contemplating if that was in fact the most rewarding path, being with people and enjoying the material but not getting too tangled up in it. I wondered what I could do that would be helpful and still allow me to do my practices. Over the time traveling and working on myself, I'd identified a few clear and sincere desires that I had, and I knew I needed to go back into the world to fulfill them. I wanted to be in partnership, to grow my own food, and to have a successful business doing what I loved and helping people. I knew I wanted to be in the Pacific Northwest as I was part of the states where I had friends and where I'd never lived. So I headed out there and drove around to see all my friends living in the smaller towns in the area as I was done with city living. Nothing felt quite right, though, so I was about to just settle in Portland and see what happened next, but first I went to visit one of my best friends in Seattle. She'd invited me to the Lakota ceremony grounds where preparations were happening for a Sundance. She'd brought me to a sweat lodge previous to this, and I was connecting to people in this community in hopes of attending that Sundance. I spent the day putting up teepees and building sweat lodges, which felt so aligned. I was so grateful to be there. It was a sunny day, and she was introducing me to different people. It was there in the tall, dry grass of the high desert that I first met my now husband, Keaho, who has been steeped in this community in these ways for over 20 years. We connected immediately, and I ended up moving to the coast of Oregon to be with him. It immediately felt like home there. He also had the desire to farm, so alongside building my business, seeing clients for Jyotisha sessions, and doing media strategy and Ayurvedic coaching, we were looking for a farm. 
When we didn't find what we were looking for in Oregon, we ended up in Maine, where we are now, which is a whole other serendipitous story. Spring is just starting, we're planting our first seeds and getting chicks and bees soon, and I feel in a lot of ways like I've come full circle back to my indigenous roots, back to farming like my ancestors, and doing work I enjoy and which challenges me in the best way. I recognize that there is so much privilege in my story and that I'm presenting selected parts to you. In truth, my purpose continues to unfold daily, and there are always new challenges and insights and room for growth. One place I'm committed to grow right now is in dismantling my own ties to white supremacy culture and finding ways to take action to support marginalized communities. My hope in sharing this story with you is that if you are having a hard time, you genuinely believe that it gets better. Which brings me to this podcast. I've dreamed of interviewing the incredible people I've met through my travels, from my community, and those who inspire me through their creativity, activism, and presence. My genuine hope is that their stories inspire you too and give you insight into your own experience. The name Weave Your Bliss is all about taking the threads of your experience, the substances and actions and ideas that work for you, and weaving them into your bliss tapestry. Thank you for being here and for listening to my story. Your attention is your most valuable asset, and I really appreciate your time. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantula-Desma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day and we will connect soon on a future episode. 